0: There's an evil in this world that has been lurking in the background since the beginning of self-awareness. It is a liar. It is a thief and a destroyer. It has claimed the lives of millions. It has stolen immeasurable amounts of innovation and art. and It is responsible for a vast majority of the misery in our lives today. And we say its name lightheartedly. We joke about it and pretend that it's a virtue. We say that the best of us have it and that it's responsible for all the good in this world. Its name is perfectionism. Perfectionism will rob you. It will convince you that you are not enough, that you are not worthy, and that you are not capable, that you are wrong, that you are broken, that you are not enough. It will reduce you to a hollow shell and convince you that the outside world has it figured out while you are left in this miserable, flawed existence. It is the architect of the Hall of Mirrors we all live in. It is our master and we its servants, commanding us to curate, to build, to create a facade of a fantasy existence that none of us live in, but that we are willing to spend countless hours keeping up, where we prefer the Cairo Instagram filter over our own skin, and where we use Facetune to pop out our bubble butts and suck in our hips, or if you have the money, get butt injections. But either way, this is an evil worth taking on, and I am calling on you to stand up and fight it. Once and for all.
1: But there's another way. One that doesn't involve going to war with yourself. Because you don't need another battle. Perfectionism has stolen so many pieces of art from me told me that they're not good enough, told me that I'm not good enough, that I'm too ugly, too you name it. Perfectionism has caused me so much pain. But it is not a demonic force out there that needs to be destroyed. It's actually the spiritual equivalent of empty carbs. And it fills the space where love, where acceptance and where trust should be. Trust in yourself, trust in your genius, trust in your capabilities, trust in your hands and in your feet, and in what is in this moment. Our guest today is Sabrina Ward-Harrison, and she's the author of several books, but my favorite is Spilling Open, which has lived on my coffee table ever since a listener introduced me to her work. And it's a collection of beautiful, messy, imperfect mixed media and hand lettering that shows That she trusts in her hands. And here is my conversation with Sabrina Ward-Harrison. All right, everybody. We are back for take two. (laughs) Our guest Sabrina (laughs) decided she wants to be in yoga pants. And we are all about comfort. Hi. Hi. So I don't think I'm going to include any bit of the first part. So I'm just going to recap. You are the second person I've ever had on my home turf. My home recording living room. It's very fancy here.
2: It's incredible. State of the art. <laughs>
1: State of the art. And um, thank you for coming. I'm really glad this worked out. Me too. One of our listeners connected us. Yeah. And Nicole, and she she very much wanted credit for it. And I'm giving her all the props. And um, yeah, I thought I was going to have to come out to you. And so it's just very serendipitous that you ended up coming out to the Bay Area.
2: I'm so happy to be back and... I've loved living in the Bay Area years ago, and it uh, feels like where heart, my heart still lives here for sure.
1: Yeah, there's definitely, even when I am not in the Bay Area, I feel connected to it in some weird way. Yeah. Even when I hate it at its most, because there's some frustrating things, but let's just get going. Sabrina, who are you?
2: I am a, I would call myself a creative liberator. I feel like uh, my life is a work in progress. I am a writer and artist, but mostly I'm just someone navigating through this world um, as that feels th- feels things deeply and finds different ways to express that. This is such a deep, big question. I know. It's really, who would you describe me as?
1: Well, I don't, that's why I don't do it. Yeah, I like no. to hear how people describe themselves.
2: I'm some. I'm a daughter. I'm a sister. I'm a friend. I'm, I think I tend to not put a title on, I think th- there are titles put upon me at a young age. And so I feel like I've kind of lived out of those titles, which I kind of like, and I'm forming new, Inventive ways to describe my life and myself. I,
1: I don't yeah, I don't describe guests because I th- I find it so odd when people describe me. Um because right. they're either very generous, which is sweet of them, but then that doesn't connect with me. Yeah. It doesn't feel like they're talking about me. Yeah. It feels like right. they're talking about their idea of me. Right, right. It's the same way when you meet somebody who's kind of smitten with you before you actually know them. Right. And it's like, oh, you you're seeing some Version me. Yes. It's not me. Yes. Yes. Because I'm harder to love than that.
2: (laughs) Yes, (laughs) exactly.
1: And it's just interesting. Like it's interesting to me when I meet somebody who very confidently loves to talk about their achievements in a way that I can't. Mm. Just shameless. Yeah. And I also love when somebody's just like kind of cripplingly humble They're just like come on just tell me about yeah. this cool stuff that you've done this is broadcasting just right tell right, me right, the cool right, stuff you've right done. and it's just interesting how people identify yeah because it's all you'll meet an artist that doesn't identify like they're you know they consider themselves more of a dad than an artist but right. to you they're just an art person right, right. so i I've got to know you through the first book that was recommended to me, which is Spilling Open: um, The Art of Becoming Yourself. The Art of Becoming Yourself, which definitely was liberating for me, is liberating for me because it's actually a book that I'm not reading cover to cover. Mm-hmm. It sits on a table in mm-hmm. in my house. It's like a it's a lone book that's always out, and I just kind of flip. Mm-hmm. It's one of those books that I enjoy just. Almost like a deck of cards, like just yeah. hitting a random page, yeah, and seeing what's in there for it.
2: That's kind of the way I formed what I wanted to be when I when I set out to make it. I thought I want it to be like a coffee table book, but then when you open it, there's this you resonate with the emotion in it, and it's sort of a surprising like, oh wow, there's vulnerability in here and connection, and you kind of find yourself in the margins of the book, turning it and saying, oh, I've felt this way before
1: yeah for listeners, the book is like a it's like an art book with like full bleed print mm-hmm. pages of your artworks. but since your artworks have words in them, it reads like right, a book
2: right and it was put together like a book it's as an internal structure that you kind of can't see, but there's a real there's a real sequencing and editorial process of the writing and there's internal five chapters in the book, so there's belong to yourself growing pains, loving, realness, and faith.
1: Did you have it mapped up like that when you were creating it?
2: hmm
1: F- While you were painting? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I went the process, and that's what I'm I'm teaching, actually, that this process of, of making it because it was, I never felt like, oh, I'm a writer and I'm going to write a book, and I never had a sense of that being a dream of mine to do when I was young. Um, but I was keeping journals when I was in art school, and, studying graphic design and photography and I was just beginning to naturally tie the two together. And so when I made Spilling Open, I was pulling from my journals and I had a great editor, Becky Benanate who said, you know, write, let's write further about this, like write further about your thighs. And I thought, oh my God, I can't be that, vol-. you know, at that time this was before blogs and there weren't people like, there was maybe a Nice Nin's journal. There weren't, weren't many women who shared their inner feelings. And so I thought, what am I doing? But I remember when I went to meet her, she said, women have this sadness and they don't know where it comes from, and I hope you'll speak about that, and men and women, but I feel called to do it.
1: How did the book come about? And we can actually take a step Mm -hmm. back too, if you wanna talk about the journey up to the Mm -hmm. book a bit. I struggle with the book in a way because you were 21, right? Or 20, mm-hmm. early 20s when you created yeah. it. And I just was not there Yeah, when I was in my early, like it wasn't, I wasn't, I'm still not quite <laughs> creatively there. It feels like, you know, like my comparison to you is tough. Uh, but
2: I would question that too, because do you resonate with those, the feelings that were in there?
1: I do resonate with the feelings that were in there.
2: And so the art for me, when I think about like a good artist is someone who can like draw hands and feet and I can't draw, you know, a nose for the best of me couldn't, couldn't even draw that. So when I made it, I had to allow like the pages don't feel, they feel as raw as the writing does. And the limitation on time when I made it, it wasn't like if I'd spent four years making that book, it wouldn't be what it is. It was like schlepping you know, 20 spreads and my Toyota Tercel out to Novato and turning them in. And, you know, I remember taking some of the pages to my therapist at the time, Gary, and I brought them in like my first sort of batch of five pages. And it's about like, it was about feeling stumpy in sweatpants and um, <laughs> like <laughs> acne and thighs. And I was like, what do you think? And he's like, what do you think? And I was like, oh my God, you know, he's like, do you like it? I'm like, I just... But it was it was having to come to peace with just just keep going and keep sharing it. But it was so, oh my gosh, it was just such a vulnerable. So I I guess what I'm saying is I see the kind of quote unquote achievement of making it being something that was it was surprising to do at a young age, but it just was the sh- was the form it ended up becoming. It was like I was meant. I think to- it's- it's
1: surprising to do at any age, like the yeah. finishing as an artist, that, uh, how many right. people have really inspired ideas? Right. You know? And like, I don't have um, as much inspiration as, as I would like. I feel like I've had to learn how to create in the vacuum of inspiration as well. Right. But
2: what do you mean by that?
1: Well, like, because I'm doing this as a living, like I can't, right. I, I, I've i stopped waiting for inspiration. Right. It, like, right. I'm trying to get, like, the, let's say this podcast onto a weekly schedule. Right. And while it hasn't ever become that, the reality of it becoming that means getting more and more comfortable recording with no inspiration.
2: Right. Right.
1: And recording an intro that is not a masterpiece. Right. But it, people aren't actually like the intro is supposed to be this is it's like my one little creative place. And it's supposed to be just a bridge to the content but for some reason for me it's like just gotten it's just become mm. this huge thing so what informed your decision up to that point of being a young person who put a book together
2: well i was so to back up a little bit i was someone i was kin- born in canada my family moved to california when i was uh, about nine eight or nine my dad had a dream to be a filmmaker so he just packed us up we had the buick and we went rented a house and and so i grew up with the model of like just you know invent your way through invent a job you know don't make a job make a job don't take a job so it was always really like maybe there's a deal maybe you know take going down for the pitch and he was a screenwriter and then became a a writer and director but um so that's why we were in california and when i was in high school I wasn't someone who played sports. I wasn't a cheerleader. I was just kind of, I was actually voted most random. (laughs) What does that mean? I was, it was the first year they ever had that title. Just, I had my own thing kind of going on. I mean, it was a very Southern California, blonde hair, blue eyed, um, kind of conservative town. And um, I had a great art teacher named Karen Miliff and I, I had by, by my junior and senior year, I mean, I just wasn't someone who was academically proficient. I mean, I couldn't really pass algebra. I didn't have a lot going on, but I had this passion for learning photography. And there was a, a great photography studio behind the, um, science room. And I would go in there and like blast U2 and develop pictures. And, and they, by the time I'd get them down to the to show my teacher, they'd sort of turn purple because the fixative was kind of not right or, you know, expired. But I got really interested in combining bold words with photography. And I remember my, there, you know, there's always like the guys that are kind of the class clowns and also sort of mean and harsh, but find humor and make kind of making fun of people, but are, they are really funny. And, uh, their guys' name were Kevin and Todd, and I'd made this piece and it said, free yourself. And I, they made, and it was like, it was free yourself and there was all this color around it, it was really big and it felt really revolutionary at the time. <laughs> and they made so much fun of me that they, they covered my lawn. I lived on the corner, like a pretty busy street <laughs> with index cards with little toothpicks taped to the back of it and it was like, free your mom, free Jake, your dog, free. <laughs> just like hundreds of them and not hundreds, probably like a hundred of them. So it's funny years later that, you know, people are saying like, you helped free myself. I'm like, yeah, Kevin and Todd. So I was kind of made fun of this, like trying to free yourself from the kind of constraints of a more conservative Southern California town. So my art teacher senior year, I was, didn't have the grades to go to any fancy college. And she said, get your head out of your ass and get up to art school. So she'd gone to CCA, used to be called CCAC, California College of the Arts, back in the 50s. And so she said, you know, you know, she helped me put together my portfolio and sent it out there and went up with my dad, my mom, my dad, and we saw a graphic design show. And my dad's like, that's what you do. That's what you do. So my Dream was not to be a fine artist. My dream was really to be a graphic designer because I felt like the power of images and words could inspire and evoke and propel change. And at that time, it was the Nike ads that were like, You're not your mother's daughter. There would be these great statements with great portraits. And so that was the path I headed down. And it was great because I finally had something in my life that I'm like, I can do this, where I never had that. So it was very quickly from going from someone voted most random to really within two years spilling open was beginning so it wasn't that I had studied art for years and years or written and it was a pretty quick change and abrupt it was abrupt on a lot of levels because I wasn't a, a big achieving person but so once I was up in school I fantastic uh Photography teacher Chris Johnson and a wonderful Caribbean poet Opal Palmer who taught a life stories class, and she said you got to get a big blank journal. And we, she started us with writing prompts, and it was the beginning of free writing. And I loved the vulnerability that came from from the, this process of of uh, being guided through writing prompts. And so those were combi- starting to be combined with the pho- the photography I was I was taking at the time. And um, then I suddenly got mono, and I had to dr- stop, and I had to move back to my parents' house. And I'm sitting there in my mom's pajamas in Southern California, like I finally felt like I was my I was getting my act together, and I was, you know, really feeling kind of confident for the first time. And I had to drop out, and I'm sitting there, and I called the time. There's an artist named Sark. and she had a book like called Inspiration Sandwich. She had these wonderful books that were handwritten and she had this inspiration line and you could call and just leave a voicemail and i called and i said i feel really disheveled i'm sitting here in my mom's pajamas and she called me back and she said thank you for speaking about being disheveled and how you really feel and she said and uh she said when you come back to um san francisco you maybe you could intern for me while you wait out the rest of the semester before you start school again so that's what I did. I went back up to San Francisco and I and I met her and I guess I was 20 at the time. And she, I brought my journals with me um, and she said, I see books in these. And I said, well, I kind of was like, screw you. Like I'm 20. And that time it was completely not a, like there. Were, it just seemed completely ridiculous like kind of thing to say to someone at my age. Um, I think it's different now because it's a lot more accessible to publish or self-publish or something. But I said, "Well, who would read this?" And she said, "Wouldn't you want to find a book like this in a bookstore?" And I said, "But it's it, it's it's going out of the margins." It's and she said, "Well, make you know, make a sampling platter of what your book would be, you know, just because I'm like I can't write a book and like what." What perspective would I write it like I'm telling you? Most books are like, so you're, you have something you're telling people. I'm like, who am I to tell anybody anything? But I'll let them in to what I'm thinking about. So I made these sampling pages and I took them. I made them on newsprint. I mounted them to Bristol board and I made them on newsprint. I made them with just black and white with like a smidge of color. So I'm like, this book is completely will be so cheap to print. Like it's not even a big deal. Like I can just print it. So I made these, made these sampling pages and I wrapped them in brown paper and I put, you know, with twigs of lavender and I made this package and I drove out to Nevada. So I found, she said, well, I said, what publisher would I take it to? She said, go to the library and look at books that you resonate with and start noticing who the publishers are. So there was a, a local, somewhat local, like Northern California publishing house called New World Library that was like a small to mid-sized publishing house. So I decide I'm going to take this package out and they're going to be like, what is this awesome thing? So I go into the publisher's publisher's office and they're in this glass boardroom and I come in, I've got my like necklace with a book at the end of it and I tiptoe up and then looking at them, my face is completely red and I lean this package against their door and I'm like, they're going to just, they're going to come out of this meeting and be like, what is this magic thing, right? (laughs) This beautiful package. I'm like, it's all about packaging, right? So, So. so I do it and I drive home. I remember calling my parents from a payphone after I did it, like I dropped it off. It's so good. get home and I wait and I don't hear anything. And it's over a week goes by. My dad gives me the talk about it. it's just great you did it. It's great you did it. Now you can contact them, you can ask for the art back, you can go back to school. And I so okay. And then about a day or two later, this editor, Becky Benanate called me and she said, this package has been leaning against our door for like two weeks. I don't know who it was for. And I just, I just opened it and I would love to talk to you about this. Can you meet? So I came in. So she said, can you come and meet me? So I dressed up. I had my graphic design portfolio, my black portfolio case, and I'm. All my journals, and I just I remember the dress I was wearing, and I drove out there and I sat down in her office, and that's when she said, "You know women have the sadness, and I don't know where it comes from they don't know where it comes from, and I hope you'll speak about that. There began the process of she and I really collaborating on me turning xeroxing pages for my journals, and then she began to see some internal structure we started breaking them into thematically into these sections. And then I would write further about certain, some of the different themes. And, and then I began to, once I had all the text solidified, I began to bring the art together. And I used, I would, went to the Creative Reuse Center, which was just where it's all, you know, you fill up a paper bag full of crap for two bucks so all the paper was, I never, I didn't go out and buy like brand new paper and I didn't make, I didn't go out and, you know, do photo shoots for the photos. Everything that I have, all the photos in the book were pictures I'd taken in school. The the girl on the cover spilt, spinning is a girl I, the year before I've been doing it in class of documentary about her life, Elise. So there was no sense of like, okay, so now it's official book making time. It was just really, and I had to fit the. Pages couldn't be more than 12 by 12 in size. And so I would just do piles and piles of spreads. And that's was how the book started. But I what the book um, started being formed. But one of my favorite completely Sabrina moments was <laughs> I didn't know, like they did never publish a book in color. So I assumed like it's probably going to be in black and white. Maybe it'll be a signature of maybe, 12 pages that are going to be in color, but I need to, I'm like halfway through the process. I'm like, I need to kind of know, like, so I remember sitting in the office and I said, so what can we just talk about, you know, is it going to, how many pages are going to be in color? She said, well, it seems like it's all in color, right? I'm like, yeah, 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 (laughs) (laughs) totally, totally color. So that was a huge, I was like, oh my God, that was the beginning of it. And the, the title came from one of the lists I made about what I wanted in a partner, and it was someone who spilled open. Hmm. So that's how that came to be, because I just always wondered what how the title would come.
1: Was it a – obviously now it's like in so many people's homes. I mean, a ton of people direct messaged me when I messaged. Oh, they mentioned did. that you were coming on. Uh, was it a giant hit when it came out? No. No?
2: No. Okay. So this is – there's more to the story. So, 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 I, so we, the book's published. I go on this little mini book, book tour to, you know, Pasadena. I actually went to Madison, Wisconsin. I went maybe eight cities. And I was kind of like, wow. Okay. You know, that was a lot. And I kind of just want, and I had, you know, drama with the guy, Alex, in the book who I wrote about a lot. And he was this great graffiti artist in San Francisco. And he just, it was just, lives were just getting, this was just kind of bizarre. And, and it was bizarre being at these book signings because- I was not someone who wanted to be on stage or perform or anything. So I just, I'm terrified. I'm sitting there, I'm taking my rescue remedy and I'm up there talking about these, like my, I'm reading about my thighs to people with a microphone, (laughs) you know, in front of people. And so it happened. I'm like, okay, that was, that was a lot. Maybe I'll just go back to school. I really thought it was done. And because there was no social media, the beauty of a lot of this, which is also it's bittersweet is I didn't get to connect with any, I'd meet people and think these are people that would be my friends. But it was the beginning of the isolation that happened because of this career that started happening. I wasn't working in a graphic design firm where I had inside jokes with people. And I learned like, okay, Susan handled that call this way. This is how I ask for this. This is how I negotiate that. I had no model of at that age, I'd never worked for a com- you know within a company. So there was a lot of suddenly business decisions and um, I was just alone. I was alone. And so then along came, I don't remember how it happened. It was a couple years, maybe maybe a year later. and this amazing woman, Jennifer Rudolph Walsh, was a young uh, literary agent and she said, this book needs to be further in the world. So she took it, she took it to the head, head of, I don't even know if I'd even signed with, I'd never had a literary agent, but I thought she was just a badass, yeah. just a total badass. And she took it to the head of Random House and she had a two book deal the next day to republish Spilling Open, to buy the rights back, republish it, and then do my next two books. So suddenly I'm just down this rabbit hole of like suddenly things escalated. Then so so that's how most people have the second version of the book. The first version and
1: with Random House, then it was a huge success. Yeah. Okay, and you were like in the in the light. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, just, I'm just curious. Like I want to get more into like big abstract ideas. Okay. But I'm just curious about the the timeline because it's not well documented no no there's mm-hmm. no good wikipedia page nope. there's, there's no like, so what happens you get thrust into this litter literary literary career mm-hmm. and keep going with the journey i just I, i'm trying to catch up
2: well there's so there's so much to the story there's so much to the story um so after i made so i finished so spilling open finished spilling open and that's when i decided i'm going to go backpack through italy and i i set off and i backpacked alone through italy and then i made a book about that traveling there and then i decided to so that's brave on the rocks but i wrote about brave on the rocks like ulcers i began to get ulcers <clears throat> i just was in over my head with with um Suddenly having people put me a bit on a pedestal or be a role model to people. And I just wasn't someone who was cut out to be a role model. I just wasn't someone who I didn't want to ever. I was so, someone who had so many insecurities and compared myself to women, girls around me that to think I would be someone that would be intimidating to somebody else or someone would be comparing themselves to me was just, I did. I felt really uncomfortable with with being in that position like that. So I I didn't really embrace it. I didn't really say, look at this, what were the place I'm at and what I could do with this. It was like, okay, just keep. And I kind of downplayed. I really downplayed it with, also when partnerships with guys, I didn't want it to be some big difference and that it was always became something. The difference? Yeah, yeah. But when I moved to New York, I moved to New York at 24, turning 25 because my parents had lived there before I was born. I was conceived in New York. And uh, it was about two months before September 11th. So I saw The Towers Fall. I was supposed to be on a book tour for Brave on the Rocks that day. I was supposed to be on a flight. Um, So that was the beginning of a whole phase of living in New York through those years and um, making my next book, Messy, Thrilling Life. but. It it wasn't, when I look back, it wasn't the happiest years. It was, there was a lot of pressure I had on myself and I was really, I really was alone. There was, because of there wasn't social media, there wasn't, like I do feel a connection with people because of social media now. And a lot of people that read my books then, I had no, I didn't know them. And now I'm like, you guys are awesome.
1: I love connecting with people.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's really, um feels really sincere. And and I'm like, this is my tribe.
1: How have you made a sustainable career out of this not career how have you made it a sustainable lifestyle where you can manage the production schedule you know like uh-huh. being a producer ma- and marketing yourself and all the complicated parts of being a working artist these days what what are the lessons that you've learned that have made it manageable because it sounds like you were kind of just like in this open ocean of uh-huh. unmanageability. Uh-huh. But when I talk to you now, because we've been talking back and forth,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you sound really centered. Like it sounds, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. There's so much we could go to. Are we going to talk about recovery at all? We can. Yeah. yeah. I think when I, yeah, I I feel more happy and centered and clear and um, uh, like i I completely comfortable with who I am and I like who I am now. I, the art of becoming yourself. I think I've now like become myself. Took a while.
0: <laughs> it was the art of
2: it. But I did it. I did it. And I think when I, I was reflecting today about there was a comment, a question about there's this big gap, you know, in, in what your life as an adult. And and I'm so, you know, when you look back and you think, what would I say to myself then? Or there's a real window when I just let like I'd had by twenty seven, I had three books already out there was a feeling like I hadn't really gone crazy yet and I needed to kind of go crazy. I needed to let, let everything kind of fall apart. And I look back and I'm really glad, grateful for that because, you know, I think we become interesting people by the things that, you know, things happen, things get messy and uncomfortable and painful. And, and there was a real window of time when that that was very true for me, and I didn't need to share it. You know, I didn't need to be the self consciousness that comes with sharing such personal work. is is not is not a positive thing, you know. And so,
1: and it's not we're not exhibitionists. No, right. So it's not about sharing every single little thing. Like there's lo- there's lots of things that I go, you know what? This probably isn't <laughs> helpful to anyone to
2: share this. Mm-hmm. And mostly to yourself, like giving yeah. yourself the space to live through it, you know, and I, um, I moved from San Francisco out to, um, North of Santa Cruz, a place called Bonnie Dune. I lived in this old schoolhouse and as, and I just, I mean, life was, I had this old Mazda Miata I would bought and the roof, the heart, the heart I bought on Craigslist, the heart top flew off on the freeway on the one hundred and one. Well, almost killed an entire family of people. But so I had this this roof and I would wear jet blue earphones and like wear this hat over it and I would play my like Discman and I would just drive like a bat out of hell down from San Francisco down back and forth. And, you know, I was just like rolling spliffs and drinking tequila and <laughs> it was just incredible. It was <laughs> absolutely fantastic. It was absolutely you know, things, it's good until it's not good anymore. And right. it's just, it was great. I had these long braids in my hair that would just like tie up. And I had just, and I would walk out on over the cliffs of the ocean through these Brussels sprout fields and I'd wear these big muck boots and I had no cell phone reception there and and just paying attention to the light. And it was what I called the True Living Project. and And it was, you know, beginning to see so much of, uh technology and f- cell phones, I guess it was right around the time of the iPhone coming out, and I just loved that I just i think i just uh I just went off the grid and i and I think that's when people started being on Instagram, so I was kind of really late and I'm really glad i, I mean, thank God I hadn't been on Instagram since then and on it and keeping it all going. I think if I'd been kept it all going since twenty and just kept going, it wouldn't um. I would never have gotten to where I'm at now.
1: I feel like for myself, I can never look at my moments of falling apart like, like they were some past event that I'm over now. Yeah. I, c- I think I'm just somebody who does fall apart and it's about learning how to build back up. It, but not, see, I always, anytime things are going well, my inclination is to go, this is the new me now.
0: Mm. i am you
1: know when i'm like on a roll creatively i'm like this is me now forever i'm this badass and then i have this fall apart moment where it all goes to hell and all my confidence is gone and i'm whatever heartbroken and destroyed and my self-esteem is in the shitter and then i have to start this like square one journey again yeah and when you said like you really needed this moment of falling apart is that like is that something that you feel like is just part of the the process or is that just an event that happened in your life that needed to
2: happen? I think it's part of being alive and it's part of life. Um, For me, it was uh, my parents really out of the blue divorced and we'd had a really close, fantastic family and it just pulled the rug out from under me. And that was the beginning of just kind of reassessing how I think it was it forced me to really step into finding my own identity singularly not part of um not a part of my family in the same way, yeah, I think life i mean you're the age that I was when I went out to the woods, <laughs> so there's a I think there's something about that time too that you know I hope that one day you will look back and go, yeah, that was crazy, and I was all over the place, but it brought me it 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 brought me through it to who you are. It just, it doesn't have to, you don't have to have to have it all tied together now. I hope not. No, screw that. (laughs) Screw that idea. Um, But for me, one thing I noticed um, that was, I noticed that I started drinking um, during the day. And it was at first, like, I just was, you know, I'm an artist, I can have wine, it's Italian, it's just, you know, it's what we do. But I noticed that I started to, you know, when it would be like I had to make a t- tough business call again. Coming back to just not knowing how what to do next, and the anxiety that I lived with around what do I say to this person? How do I say no? How do I um, how do I negotiate something that feels fair? And um, and that's what, you know, and resentments would build and. So I started noticing that I began drinking during the day and because I didn't have people around, no one was really noticing that. So one thing I know now years later is that alcohol actually we you know the idea that it calms us it actually makes us have even more anxiety. So I think I really tried to soothe myself with alcohol and and I and I had a lot of shame about that. I had a lot of shame about that because I was supposed to be a role model and an inspiration and I was internally really afraid about the drinking I was doing. And my dad, I remember him warning me when I was maybe 14 or 15, because I wasn't someone who drank in high school, didn't even in art school. I wouldn't, I would never did, never partied hard. (laughs) And, but I do remember, you know, starting to have before a book signing, you know, just alcohol was just began becoming this soothing thing. And I remember my dad once saying to me, you got to be really careful with, Alcohol, your grandmother, his mother, died of alcoholism, very young, and so internally, uh, for quite a few years, I was wrestling with thinking i've gotta this is not okay, but I didn't know what to do about it,
1: and you ended up getting sober,
2: yeah, yeah, so there came a point I'm almost three years sober um that I wanted my i wanted myself back and mm-hmm. I um, dragged this. I had I had six months till I was in Madison. I had six months until I was gonna have to see my family for my dad's seventieth birthday. I'm like, I got six months to get my life back, and I just dragged this probably drunkenly to like half of the kitchen table, kitchen counter off <laughs> my big L-shaped thing up my stairs, and I marked out, drew out six months, you know, and I had stickers for every day, red for, I think red was for exercise. I joined CrossFit. Green was for eating healthy and I up doing, started to do the whole 30. And then yellow for, was for not having Chardonnay, <laughs> like not drinking. And I just said, I just was, uh, I was it, was, it was just a turning point. And so, and then I, um, about three months after stopping, I went into the rooms and started a 12 step program that has been fantastic
1: it's a really cool journey yeah not without its fair share of trials
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but it brings us to our humanity and in a way I'm grateful that it had to get kind of bad before it got better because it's if I it just had stayed kind of halfway I think I'd be living I wouldn't be I wouldn't be a very happy person so
1: with the the theme of like becoming yourself which is something that I deeply identify with like my I think my goal for this project of kind of being a little bit more public in my life mm-hmm. is to learn how to be more Sam every day. Yeah. Like how to be unapologetically Sam. Yeah. Not who I think Sam should be or who I yeah. want you to think Sam is. Yeah. And it's an interesting journey where you kind of, you know, you, you end up trying on things that, you you know, your favorite people do and some of them feel right and some of them don't feel right. Can
2: you give a, an example or something?
1: Oh, I don't know. Like little... uh mannerisms of like your favorite comedians or like habits of your favorite writers, you know, and you just try on.
2: Could you, what's, can you think of something?
1: No, but okay. I should be able to think of something. No, I can't, but that's okay. because I have a, a terrible memory. Okay. <laughs> what are the 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 practices that help ground mm. you in who you are and help remind you of who you are? And you can add, what are the big moments where you realized who you are?
2: Yeah. It's interesting about, <sighs> vulnerability, because it feels, I think, and I don't necessarily want to put this in the podcast, but it's just a lot around my recovery that just like my bottom, you know? Like my bottom was, um, really. this, the strength that comes through from from recovery is pretty powerful. Um, can we move on and I'll come back to we circle around? Sure.
1: One of my favorite things about your art is how uninhibited it is, mm-hmm. like loose yeah, and wild and untamed and unvarnished. And I went to school for product design where it was about rendering perspective and lights and shadows and right. everything had to be perfect. And right. I was not that good at it actually. And uh, it really has, my artistic journey is really about unlearning a lot of the stuff I learned in art school. Mm. How do you work around, Perfectionism, or how do you accept the art that's coming out? Because often, for me, my vision is technically above my skill set. <laughs> you know, so yeah, what I'm going to produce isn't going to match the vision in my mind, right? And that that can be really off-putting to me. Rather than I know, like the correct way is to just be like, this this is what you could do today,
2: right? It's like that Ira Glass quote about like our taste doesn't match our level of taste doesn't match our ability. Like,
1: just, I haven't heard it's it, a no.
2: great quote about just knowing when you don't you don't feel like you're really good at something but your taste level you know what good looks like and you're like this is not you you know you want to be at this level you know what you know what works and so you're wrestling with when it's like it's not quite there um for me the creative uh experience of making is, I think that's where I, I get lost in, you know, that's where you want to get into that, that zone of kind of euphoric, it's like a euphoric push and pull of fear and stress and euphoria all mixed together of, um, trying to, trying to nail it. You know, even though my work is very loose, there's internally a point at which it's, it's that ba- there's balance and, um, it, it sings You know, and getting to that place usually involves really letting go. And when you think you've sort of are halfway letting go, you're kind of going to go five times further. Got to really muck it up.
1: How do you get into that place?
2: I think a lot of it for me is out being working outside, working with very limited, like I don't usually have, I don't have perfect, the perfect supplies. I don't have like the right some ex- expensive pastel or a good brush. You know, I use brushes from the dollar store. I use the limitations and constraint on the materials I use help liberate me when I'm mark making. So constraint even within time and materials and you know, in the course that I, the Untether course, this summer, it was, it's one of the funnest things with students, whether it's in person or this was an online course, was I had people, the the supply list was like, go get some red, yellow, and blue. We're just, all, we're using primary, cheapest stuff they have at the art store, sponge brushes. And the exercise we did with this cheap paint and what we ended up doing with it even then, and cheap paper, like I, I gave them the wrong link on Amazon to sort of supposed to be cheap white paper. I ended up linking to some tracing paper. I'm like, fine, use the tracing paper, <laughs> paint on the tracing paper. But what it, the, the amazing thing was the preciousness, even with cheap, a roll of endless amount of paper and then cheap $4 paint, the preciousness and the feeling of I can't, I gotta, I can't mess this up. Once created, once we went through the experience, they found these parts that they loved and they held on so tight. They wanted to hold on so tightly to not cutting them up. I'm like, remember, this is cheap. We can make more of it. How quickly we want to think, you kid, there's not room to to go beyond and mess it up further. Like I think with, with the work I make, If you try to be messy, it's not gonna work. If you try to be loose, you're not gonna work. You have to get yourself, even the physicality of working loosely with your body while you're making it. So working with the elements or working in a space where it's on the floor and it's, you're kind of moving around, continually moving around the piece. You're not just staring at it from one perspective, you're working on on, from all sides of it. You let it get rained on, you know, you let it, Drag it into the lake a little bit,
1: how do you critique yourself in a way that's constructive and not abusive? like how do you look at what you're making and push yourself further in a way that's healthy and sustainable
2: It's in a way it's my favorite part because it's it's the maybe it's a partly for me it's like the graphic design part like I like the I like wrestling with it's not there yet it's not working yet. I don't think I go. I always, I always go in through the, to the mindset of like, I, I forgot how to do this. I forgot how to paint. I suck. This is stupid. This is stupid. This is stupid. And then it's like, well, that's interesting. And then, oh, that's stupid. Oh, you're trying too hard. That's stupid. And then like, oh, that's interesting. And then, um, then there's something, then it and then you step away and you kind of come back and and i always find there's a bit of alchemy in, in making where you know something stuck to your foot like there's a piece of fabric stuck to your foot that would happen and um i'm like oh this this is going to be this is going to work great in the collage and you kind of needed that like one circle of orange that just made it sing um i remember having a boyfriend that once said to me who i'm not with anymore years, years ago and he said you know you've always have stuff or he said I'd left a scarf. A scarf had slipped up. My mom's scarf had slipped off. At the, we had been at a bar, like in Michigan, and it slipped off the back. Of, and I, oh, we were like five minutes away. I said, "Oh, I, my, I realized I left my scarf it fell off." And he's like, "Oh my god!" And he was so frustrated. And I said, "And I'd it, been. I, I think I hadn't seen him in about a year. So at that point, I just was living in. I guess. Oh, I left that part out of the story. So I." was kind of going to live this normal life. And I met this guy in New York and then we moved back to California and we were setting up a life And I was 25 and going to, you know, and then he moved to China and I felt like I kind of had a second chance at that's when I moved to the woods and I just I was like freedom and let's do this. Let's continue to become myself further. Cause I was roasting chicken and going to Pilates and I'm like, this isn't, I can't end here. This can't, this can't end like this. <laughs> So, but I remember seeing him then about a year later and, and it was great because he said, you know, I had just, I was, and I said, John, I have shit stuck to the bottom. If you saw what my life was like now back in San Francisco, I said, I've got stuff because he was really wanting us to get back together. And he was like, why can't this work? And I said, you, I would drive you crazy. Like this, this is who I actually am. This is, this feels I'm not explaining it so well, but the the essence was a great reminder to me that thank God I thank God the scarf falls off and, you know, that the way I live is the way I make work. And like I had to totally change my outfit about eight minutes getting here, like, yeah, let it just let life like let it happen. Let it be different. and
1: yeah and let people be themselves. yeah I mean I have been on both ends of the spectrum where I really like somebody but I kind of wanted them to change in a couple different little ways
2: mm-hmm.
1: And that didn't work out. you know that wasn't that was not a healthy expression of love
2: right
1: because it was conditional it was like right. I will love you if you do the dishes right uh, because I don't want to be with a messy person but I want every other thing about you right rather than just like well maybe you could do the dishes maybe I've also given myself up. To relationships where, when it's over, it's I'm kind of amazed as my my real authentic self starts to pour back in. Where it's like, <laughs> wow, you really let that go.
2: Yeah, right. Like
1: that, it was almost frightening. It was
2: right? Like,
1: How could you have let that go? And I feel like I've reached a really healthy place with it. Where like a few people I've dated this year, like pointed things out, like there are a problem. I'm just like, then go. Yeah, you know, because this is not mine to change. With one of them, my my exact words were, "I feel like a really healthy expression myself." Mm. So it's it's this or go. And we ended up going, and it felt right. Mm -hmm. Close is not a good excuse, (laughs) you know. Like, oh, this almost works. No. Yeah. No.
2: Close becomes bigger and bigger
1: bigger and bigger and I guess it works with with people and with art but I'm so much harder with myself creatively like it's it's so the if I wrote down like what do you want Sam what do you want this year like getting really comfortable with where I'm at and with what I'm creating would be high up on that list
2: and what do you want internally?
1: I think internally I want to be okay. It's like a subjective thing because like objectively I'm uh, very okay. Right. Like things are fine. I'm safe. I'm not worried about my, my safety and my health is pretty good. But the, like there's this okayness that I step into that feels like I'd like to have that more. What's interesting is for me is with a, like this work of doing it on my own, which I guess is all you've ever done. Yeah. This work of doing it on my own is so much harder to be okay than when I had a stable job and a, a girlfriend. Even a girlfriend that I like, that wasn't a great fit. Right. There's just something about having that partner that for me is just like, okay, we're cool now. Right. Like we have a life track. I, I no longer have to search for this
2: mm-hmm.
1: mysterious person. Mm-hmm. I have this avatar, the stand-in for that. And I don't have to worry about where money's coming from. And this journey of being an artist has tested me spiritually in ways that are really challenging. And I think they're good. I think they're it's really good areas to grow, but I don't think it's required by, <laughs> by any means. Like, I don't feel obligated to learn how to survive as a self-employed person. But for now I'd like to explore it. Yeah. What do you want? Like what do you want out of the short period of time that we have here?
2: Um, I want a house on the lake with a dock. That's an awesome <laughs> goal. I do. With the Adirondack chairs. Yeah, that I really do I would like that. <laughs> um I wrote to myself I wanted a house on the lake with a dock, and then I wanted to be able to go spend time in Italy. Um, that sounds kind of superficial, but I like—I I feel I'm past the point of—I don't want children. I don't necessarily want to get married. I feel like—I should say—it's really hard to do a podcast with right in front of, like, looking at you.
1: I can tell this is super different for you. Yeah. yeah.
2: I feel really kind of self-conscious.
1: Well, we're friends. I mean, we can, like, if it, if we listen and it's total garbage, we can just do it again some other time. It's really not. Yeah. Yeah. I know that doesn't make anything go away, but. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the feeling I have right now is the feeling I used to have when I was on book tours and things. It's like, this is just, it's like, inter- you sip up so much emotional energy to be nervous that I remember that you just, ex- you'd be so emotionally nervous.
1: Are you sensitive? yeah. Yeah, you might be vibing off of my energy, too. Yeah. I am all over the place. Yeah. Like, any uneasy feel might just be residual. Yeah. My mom's getting mar- married tomorrow. There's a million little things I have to get done. So. Yeah. All kinds of, like, taxes and all kinds of shit. So yeah. it might be me bringing that.
2: Or <laughs> here as is.
1: Yeah. This is the most as is. I mean, there's guys blasting the boombox outside. And- yeah. That's just life sometimes.
2: I think the shift of turning the focus on me to now having a format to be able to turn it towards my audience and help them. Like, I think that I get so much gratification in watching other people get free. And I didn't think I could translate that into something that I could reach further. I thought it would be, I'll always have to be in person, which I love being in person. But again, as an introvert there's a lot that goes into preparing to be with people that you don't know that have people that have expectations of you and so on and so forth it's always amazing but it's a lot i can't do it maybe you can do it a couple times a year so the format now of the courses i always thought i can't teach online that seems like it's going to be so flat but the challenge of like well if i was how would i how would i do that how would i actually bring freedom to people without you know being in front of Something and showing demos of me, but really, so when I created on Tether last summer, I was like, "Well, we're just gonna go look for shit on the street." Like I'm filming the guy I film with. We just there's something called Hippie Christmas in Madison, where there's a day when every all the college students move out. I have one day before they have to move in, so just there's just stuff all over, and it was I used to find the best stuff on the street,
1: like lamps and couches. lamps and
2: like I found like you know blenders and and then I'd find cool stuff and I'd make art with it, but. So we filmed that and, you know, the first, when we first started shooting, it was, I was kind of pulled together. And by the end, I'm just, you know, I've got a fanny pack, I've got, you know, just stuff. That has been really fun to to break up the format of the traditional way of teaching online and bring it more like a documentary film way. Like, how can I get people to loosen up? So I, it's by me being really loose. And so because of self-publishing is now, you can have your books on Amazon. You can it's you can do beautiful full-color books. I feel people have always would ask me like, well, how did you make Spilling Open? And so I feel there's a, so many people out there that have journals that they've kept that want to share it, want to have something to leave behind for their children, children's children, or to be able to have, just share their journey in there. So I'm excited to take them through that process. And so that to me... When I kind of realize I can like if it's something i've done five times now in my own way, and this feels like that to me it would feel so gratifying to see people like seeing that come to life for other people
1: yeah there's a a bad valuation on impact where like the value has been skewed to like the masses right like it's not valuable unless it's affecting like lots of people right. And that, I mean, that's where I'm at kind of creatively is, you know, I want anyone who can get something from this program to hear it. So obviously I want it to go as far and wide as it can. But what sustains me is not the photo that got a ton of likes, Mm -hmm. or it's not the episode that like hundreds of thousands of people listen to. That never saves me. Not once when I'm at my lowest point does that fact save me. What saves me is like individual stories. I've gotten four suicide letters and only two directly. Mm -hmm. And the other two just said, hey, I wrote out a letter and I I listened to the program and someone kind of reminded me of what I wanted. That saves me. A handful, a dozen or so people have told me that they got out of shitty relationships not because of something I said, but because of something inside them that woke up. And I love that part of being a creator in this time period is that you can connect. And Mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure out like a healthy way with boundaries to do it. But like, yeah, teaching seems like a dream. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
1: yeah, there's a ton of people who like they flirt with the idea of like doing videos or doing a podcast Mm -hmm. and the, the pull to like wanna be big is, like if that gets you creating, fine, but like the magic isn't gonna be whether a lot of people listen or not. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be if you recorded 10 episodes, because most people quit at seven. Right. you know. And if you record 10 episodes, you're gonna know yourself in a way that you didn't know yourself before, mm-hmm. whether or not one person listens to the program. Mm-hmm. Where do you wanna grow as an artist?
2: I love collaboration, so my heart expands and my my ideas are better when i'm collaborating and problem solving so bringing what i got to the table with other people that are passionate about it from other directions is the most exciting thing to me so i would love to love to make a film yeah you know i've shot all those years i was living in the woods and all that time i kept a kept a video camera so i Crazy footage, um, but I'd love I'd love to make a, a film kind of a poem a poem of a film. I love like to me, this conversation, this this where to be in conversation and that to people to resonate with that feels really gratifying and really fulfilling to me. This doing just this.
1: It's really rewarding to me. Not the editing part. Yeah.
2: <laughs> what would you like what would you like your days to look like?
1: What's the big pie in the sky dream?
2: Or just like the feeling you want to have in your days. Like what 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 do your days feel like?
1: I really want a team of people. Yeah. Really badly. Like there's a reason why it's Hello Humans and not Sam lamont Yeah. Is I want to have great artists, great writers, great video people. Yeah. In one roof. And I would love to help figure out how they can all work to produce really great content yeah. and so there's like yeah there's the overall mission which is that i i want you to know of one place if you have been swiping through your phone and believing the bullshit that you're just bombarded with mm-hmm. that everyone else has got it figured out
2: mm-hmm. that you're
1: in, that everyone else is in a happy relationship that their kids aren't screwed up like yours like blah 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 you know of one place to go to where there'll be a video that is unvarnished Yeah, And it's real. It's someone's truth. And I want to be one of the great creators in that space. Like I think there's a ton of people chipping away at this. We have this amazing tools that we haven't caught up to. We don't know how to safely use Instagram in a way that we don't know how to safely pursue personal growth without trying to sell people shit that they don't need. I want to be one of the people that helps figure this out. I think I personally think there's a way to make a living exploring growth, mm-hmm. not having the answers. Yep. If anyone's selling an answer, like be careful of that because mm-hmm. your life is so complicated and the answers are like your, your individual answer is going to be different than mine. Yeah. My answer might be, high intensity cardio and your yeah. answer might be like swim and laps
2: right
1: you know or w- whatever it is and so <sighs> to answer the the original question i want to find a way to employ people to do what they were meant here to do that's like the big dream mm-hmm. is like i want to be the guy, I, a, I, I, w- I have some visions that I want to bring to life that are so beyond my skill set that it's like, yeah, I need somebody who can do some video and I need somebody who can think graphically in a way that I can't. But I also just want to cut somebody a check who could have easily turned around and gotten a big kid job at like, you know, a car dealership, but they're meant to be a videographer and it's yeah. just there just wasn't a big video place hiring, but Hell Humans hired them or yeah. whatever it was. That's kind of like the short-term goal for for Hello Humans. And for myself, um, yeah, like I am not certain I will ever get to a place that's like fully stable in a way that's like crash proof. Mm -hmm. Like I think I'm somebody who was meant to kind of bump into walls and meant to, you know, crash into thing and fall down and get back up. And this is something that actually has, you know, if you measure my growth in the past, well, just year even, I have grown tremendously. I'm, I'm in a different sport than I was last year. And it's not because I'm failing less or that I have less problems or that my life is more stable. It's that I've gotten more patient. Mm-hmm. I've become more patient than problems when they arise. And I've become more powerful. Than the problems. And I have learned how to crawl when I can't run. And my crawling form is perfect. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to run creatively and produce lots and lots of content sustainably. But I know that when I feel like I absolutely can't go any further, I know how to crawl in a way where nothing can take me down. Yeah, and it's less sexy than like being this fast-paced yeah. creator. I love being in that manic, fast, productive place, but I don't think I can hold that all the time. Mm-hmm. So the goal for myself is to be able to set myself up for those wonderful manias. Yep, when they come, yep. like just have it all there, so when it hits, I can move totally. And to get better at crawling. Yeah, You know, so where maybe right now where I feel just debilitated, it might be like, I can only work for an hour. Maybe I can come to a place to where I can like, you know, learn how to kind of pitter patter for four hours, super duper depressed. Like that sounds like good progress. And I don't know. I want to get better at enjoying novelty where not everything needs a purpose. Mm Mm-hmm. And I want to get better at remembering how much left there is to explore. Yes. Because I'm a I'm a process and efficiency person. Mm-hmm. Right away, I'll map out the room and just be like, this is a the room. There's four walls and a door. Use the door to get out of the room. And mm-hmm. that's all my mind like needs at its surface level. But I, I would love to get better at going, what texture is the wall? Yeah. Like the novelty of it. Yeah. What style is the door? When was this room constructed and by whom? Right, right. What was this room originally intended for? Like there's just a pair of glasses that you wear when you're like eight where you don't know anything. So you're mapping all the time. You know, you're like mapping everything. You're mapping what this building is and why it's here. And like this building is definitely different from that building. And as an adult, I can very quickly just go, yes, skyscraper.
2: Okay. That's it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Not individual buildings, someone designed for a purpose. Yeah. This was their artistic vision. Look at the small differences. Look at the colors that they chose yeah. and the materials that they selected. And Yeah. The novelty of it. <laughs> Sorry for taking over.
2: No, I asked you the question. Yeah. I think it's going to be so good for you to have a team. Me I've, too. I would love, side note, love you to meet. Austin, the guy that I film with, he's uh, one of us of that type of feeling it deeply kind of lost. He's the same age as you and just searching and wanting you know sort of not doing you know was driving Uber, but he's like an incredible filmmaker and wants to be making meaningful work. and but I've noticed for myself, even because I had to work with somebody else to make the course, that having someone else I was responsible to showing up for just it was a game changer so it just took me out of just this and the head game of i have to move this whole thing forward myself it's just a, such a draining
1: yeah i'm not a lone wolf no i'm i think that's why when i'm in a relationship like something else takes some okayness takes over yeah and so i don't want to put all that pressure on my next relationship so i'd love to find a pack. Yeah, yeah. A community that yeah. isn't built on sexual desire. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just built on friendship and collaboration yeah. and yeah. things that are more likely to be sustainable hopefully. Yeah. You've been really generous with your time.
2: Do we have some questions from the audience?
1: Oh, yes. Oh my god. <laughs> we do. Thank you for reminding me. Uh we have questions from Nicole who put us together actually. And she has read all the books, so she's even, she's she's more prepared than I am. She wrote, with freckles and messy hair, bruised knees and chapped lips, this morning I am splendidly imperfect and alive. Another bath it will be. Bless the mess. She wrote, this passage above is one that I've copied down again and again, created art with, and even hung on my refrigerator yeah. as a reminder of myself over the past 15 years or so. Do you remember what was going on in your life specifically that inspired you to write this?
2: Yes, I do. Thank you, Nicole. I actually found that journal page just a few, just a few, <laughs> fuck, it's like a lion up there.
1: Are they they're moving furniture or something? Ah, it's just unbelievable. Oh, this is doomed. They're vacuuming. I don't know. Maybe we may wait five minutes.
2: Yeah, let's do it.
1: So side note, I have such a problem with these neighbors. Yeah. Maybe they've moved to the other room now. It's so doomed. Everything is doomed. <laughs> uh All right, it's quieted down a bit. Let's just get this done. (laughs) We're just going to wrap, because I'm out of time. Okay. So this is from Nicole, who actually uh, introduced me to your work. The passage is, With freckles and messy hair, bruised knees and chapped lips, This morning I am splendidly imperfect and alive. Another bath it will be. Bless the mess. This passage above is one I had copied down again and again, Created art with, and even hung on my refrigerator as a reminder to myself over the past 15 years or so do you remember what was going on in your life specifically that inspired you to write this
2: i do in fact just a few months ago i was going through my journals and i found that entry i think it was written in november and i remember i was um there was heartache and i was ending a relationship and i was being i was there's a softening of permission for allowing the feelings to be there I think that was a turning point in my life at that point to start to allow the real feelings and to acknowledge them and to document them uh,
1: another question is how connected do you feel to these works 20 to 15 years later the words excuse me the words that you wrote
2: mm. it, they feel in a way each of my books feels like it's its own its own child <laughs> I feel like a single mom with five kids like they have their own life and when i because they're so, especially the first three are so personal and vulnerable. I don't go back and read them because it was a lot to reveal. It's like okay, out of sight, out of mind. I just they're just, they're just they're really personal, especially because they're they're about re- certain relationships. Um, but I, when I read them, I have I relate to lots of the feelings still, and because of such a, I have such a visual memory, one of my favorite things is I can look at every little bit on the page and remember, okay, I remember that little piece is from this. And I remember how I had this in that pile until the four months in, and I used that little bit on this side. And I remember where I found each piece of paper that each page is made on. And I've, I have a lot of memories around making it in this old sunroom in Berkeley. And uh, the, the process of making it was just, excuse me, I had a, my friend Timmery and she'd say she had helped me with this big piece of paper, like how to start she said, go get a burrito and a diet Coke, you know, go to, go to the coffee store and start Xeroxing. It just was a, that's how I, uh, I have a lot of memory around creating each page that way.
1: And this is the way I like to end every program. But if I could hand you a phone, and on the other end was Sabrina at her most challenging moment in her life when you felt like the most like uh, a fraud or the most like your best work was behind you. What message would you want to send to her?
2: It would be live it all. Live all the way through it. That nothing you are experiencing will not be of use to the person you are becoming and let it be mucky, let it be messy, and give yourself that permission to to live it all the way through, but to keep living it.
1: Thank you so much for your time.
2: You're welcome, thank you, Sam.
1: Hey, so that's the end of this conversation. But if you don't want the conversation to end, you can follow us on social media on almost every platform. We're at HelloHumans.co, except for Twitter, which has an underscore CO. Our website is HelloHumans.co. We have great stories, videos, and the episodes live there as well. And for more of our guests, for more of any of our guests, I always post their social media, their books, their videos, their art in the show notes, which is another word for the podcast episode description, and it's available wherever you're listening. I promise you just have to click around. If you'd like to help us out more, there's a few ways you can help. Please share this podcast with your friends or people that you think would get value out of it. Writing us a review on iTunes is incredibly helpful for our ratings. And also, of course, this program is not possible without listener community contribution. So our patrons are our financial backbone of this product. That's how we manage to do this ad-free. You can become a patron by going to patreon.com/howtohuman. That's p a t r e o n.com/howtohuman. This is the How to Human podcast, a production of hellohumans.co. Until next time, have a great day.